0: Welcome to From the Ground Up, Athletic Performance Podcast, episode number seven. I'm your host, Jesse Curtis, and on this podcast, I sit down to talk athletic development with Andrew Pichardo. On this episode, we discuss how he advances different athletic populations to varying levels of bodily awareness and competency. We examine many different factors in his day to day programming, what KPIs he utilizes to assess his population, and we also discuss many of the creative warm-up methods that he employs with his population. Without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome to Episode 7 of From the Ground Up Athletic Performance Podcast. On today's show, I sit down to talk athletic development with Andrew Prichardo of Tyler Legacy High School. How you doing, Coach? Good, good. How are you? Very good. good. I'm, glad, you? I'm glad we were able to get you on to talk about some of these things. So, if you would, coach, if you could start out by just introducing yourself, who you are, where you're located, the athletic populations that you service at your school.
1: Andrew Pachardo, I'm from originally from Fort Worth, Texas, and I've been all around the place, uh, all around the world, really since then. But now, based at Tyler Legacy in East Texas, it's about an hour and a half um, east of Dallas. And I'm the the title is the head strength and conditioning coach at the school, so I work with most of sports except football and uh, powerlifting, so volleyball track, basketball, soccer, volleyball, softball, pretty much all the other main sports I work with. And then I also work with some of our contributing middle schools as well.
0: You've got some research behind you. Obviously, you're a PhD student. And the first thing that I kind of want to start out with is I want to start out by looking at adolescent populations. It's, It's a time in a person's life where they're growing, where they're changing. So you deal with a lot of athletic populations so what are some of the factors that you've identified in your research and just with working hands on with kids that you like to look at and try to develop in your athletes at your school?
1: I think it all really stems around. The, I mean, the overarching goal is to, to try to you know make them enjoy activity and physical activity and be healthy for life. And so there's different you know ways to do that. If they're an athlete, you know, keeping them on the field is going to be key. And to do that, helping them move properly and develop strength is going to be, you know, some of the, I think some of the most important things you can do, not just technique in the weight room, but just being coordinated and being able to get in and out positions and then kind of learn their body is is super important. And then since there is such a spectrum of athletes that I work with and just in general out out there in a high school setting, you know, for a lot of them, it's just teaching them, you know, basic, basic movement skills and just general, you know, general strength. Cause you know, when we were kids, it didn't seem like there was as much deficits in strength and like coordination as there is now and I don't know all the research behind that aspect but I know you know in general kids across the world are are not they can't move very well and they're not you know very strong and they're not very fit so just helping them uh, improve those qualities is is normally what I aim to do and then you know how you do that there's there's you know a lot of different ways but you have to make it enjoyable for them to to actually want to improve those things rather than I'm trying to make them do something they don't want to do.
0: Yeah. A lot of the things you spoke to actually a term I saw whenever I was looking through your research is the term adolescent awkwardness. So I work with adolescents too. And the way that they solve movement patterns is, is really funny. Sometimes looking at how they vary from person to person and from lift to lift or from agility or, you know, just any anything that you throw it in the way that they try and problem solve, essentially. So if, if we could, what are some ways that you kind of scaffold and build people? Because you work from the middle school uh, level all the way up to the high school level. So if we could talk a little bit about how you would kind of build people from that middle school level up to the high school level and you would scaffold that in uh, throughout time.
1: The middle school level, you know, we start, we start very basic. So I really only work with, the, the way the schedule is this year, I work with eighth grade girls and I get them once a week for about 30 minutes. I go to two different schools, so only one school each day. So on a Tuesday morning, I'll go to the middle school and I'll have them from about, by the time they finish warming up, 8.30 to 9 o'clock. And I get them once a week. So it's, it's pretty basic. We started for a long time just going outside, doing, you know, field-based stuff snap downs people love to hate snap downs now and you know jump landing stuff but uh you know teaching them just a good loaded athletic position like it may seem basic to, to to skip over but if they can't do it then like maybe you need to touch on it a little bit or or have some education around it so we'll do that stuff squats lunges I mean typical squat lunge push pull brace rotate kind of thing and then we're quite limited out on the field so now we started going in the weight room and, and we've just progressed very slowly with, you know, basic stuff. We were doing landline squats and push-ups and shoulder taps and all, it's a lot of body weight stuff, but then being in the weight room environment is just exposing them to that and getting familiar with the equipment. So I think that's a, a big piece that the earlier that happens, the better. Um, even if you're going in the weight room and you're doing body weight squats and lunges and using equipment to do body weight stuff I think that just helps them get exposed to it and kind of understand that what what they're trying to accomplish in there so that that's helped and then as it so it's it's been a weird year this is my second year at this school and we had corona last year so the transition and even just seeing like how this part of the school year runs is new for me because I'm coming from New Zealand where, where this everything is completely different so, you know, now having having them for a longer period of time that I'm, I'm having in this semester, whereas last year we, we had basically just got in the weight room and then we got shut down. And then so when I got some middle school kids over the summer, we kind of had to almost start back over. So now having them for a longer period of time and then being able to have them through the summer program when they come in as freshmen, I think they'll be a lot a lot more advanced or at least more comfortable with the basic movements that we do. And what, what I've noticed is like since I worked, with the middle school girls and and some of our other coaches help with that program. When they come into the high school freshman year, the move, the girls kind of have better movements or at least are exposed to, to the coaching cues and the the patterns that we're trying to hit a little bit better than the boys. The, the football coaches go to work with the boys and stuff. Um, but they, they've just gone through coaching change too. So there's a whole another, um staff in there that's implementing, you know, different philosophies and things like that. So that that's been useful in terms of, having a middle school program and being able to go help at those middle schools and build those, those gaps early on. And then as they come, basically I don't have, you know, I'm not quite on the level where I have four different levels to my program and everyone's doing a different thing. It's kind of like our developmental groups where the freshmen are lifting together are on kind of one program and then the older groups. And that doesn't really change based on where they're at in their season too much. Um, whereas the older groups, they have kind of different programs based on either team or time of the year and they do some different stuff and slightly more advanced things. But th- that, that's how it's been going so far and it, and it needs some work. But it's been OK, right, you know, right now in terms of trying to get the freshmen to do some things so that by the time they're into those other classes, they're able to to pick up, you know, where everyone else is.
0: So just to make sure I understand, the classes, they're divided. Let's say, like, you have your middle school at one time, you have your freshmen in their own class, and then an upper-level uh, group would be in another class. They're not they're not all
1: lifting at the same time, essentially. For the most part, yes. Um, there There's, like, freshman athletic periods where I'll have freshman basketball, and I'll have them by themselves. So there's, like, 12 kids. And then another day I might have freshman volleyball and freshman – girls soccer so there'll be like maybe 20 30 kids but they're all freshmen but then in the older groups some freshmen get moved up so like if they're really good and and the coaches know who they are coming in and stuff they'll they'll get moved up to the jv varsity period and you know they'll be in that period without that developmental year so that's one one area that i know i need to work on but you know, is it, those freshmen, just because they're good on the field doesn't mean they know what they're doing in the weight room. And so I, I've just got to work on a better way to bridge that gap. But, but that, is, that can happen too. But for the most part, it's not like a team of freshmen lifting with an older team. That, that doesn't happen too much. It might be like 50, well, 40 juniors and seniors and sophomores and then like five or 10 freshmen in there. And at, at times throughout the year, I've had, you know, okay, you freshmen are going to do this freshman program that the other period's doing. And then eventually I've just tailored them into, you know, what everyone else is doing So everyone's on the same thing. Once they, you know, I see where they're at and um, they pick up the basic, the basic movements.
0: Yeah. You, it's a really big variety. I've talked to several different strength and conditioning coaches. Some of them have, you know, just their team. Like I, I work with just my team at, at one time and then others I've talked to, they have multiple teams at the same time they may have student pop in there with them so you just never know what you're going to get always have to identify kind of because it it determines how you're going to run your program essentially so Mm -hmm. so that's why I was making sure as far as a lot of the things you said there time like working with the middle school it's, it's awesome that you're able to get your hands on them I program for football, uh, the football program here, and I don't see eighth graders until the springtime and they come sprinting over and I have like 25 minutes with them. And we used to just try and just get as much as we could out of those 25 minutes. And I don't know how much we got accomplished during that time. So I've had to scale that back a ton. And you spoke to the fact that you did a lot of field-based things with your guys. So I actually kind of start my guys working on plyometrics and running for the majority of the spring. Uh, It's not ideal, but it's the best situation that I can have because at the same time I have varsity guys lifting and I just don't have the resources to properly scaffold them into lifts so I can understand a lot of the things that that you're saying there so getting a little bit more specific with resistance training and in the weight room here as far as your programming everybody employs different methods some programs are powerlifting based some programs are only ollie based some programs are a hodgepodge of things so what are some of the main moving parts within your programming the main lifts that you utilize to increase strength power production and athletic capabilities
1: yeah, great question. I, 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 guess I'm a, I guess I'm a hodgepodge. I don't, I don't identify as like a powerlifting guy or a conjugate guy or even an Oli guy, even though I think like they, they have their place in a program. So and I just use a template, which is this in the, the template really doesn't change much between the developmental groups and the older groups. It's just the exercise that I fill in with that we will have some kind of clean variation, some kind of squat variation, a vertical pull and like a single leg movement then on the day two and it depends because like depends on how many days they're lifting and what types of things I try to fit in, in those days and how many days. So like girls soccer throughout the season, they only lifted once a week. So what their one day a week looked different than the boys soccer team. who trained twice a week um, just because I could kind of spread the load out a little bit better. Um, So those men, I mentioned, we got hex bars now. So we, we do some kind of hex bar pull pretty much every week um, horizontal push, vertical pull. I've kind of gone away from a vertical push now. A lot of it, we did a lot of landmine pressing variations this year, which is kind of not necessarily a true vertical push, but that was our place of a vertical push. Um, and then like, if they have a day three, then that's something I'll add on that day, but it's tough. Like I've kind of had what you've had, like sometimes where I have not that much time and I try to get all this stuff in and, you know, we either get through it and the quality's not great, or we don't get through it all. And I'm constantly editing stuff. And I'm like, if I have to tailor the program every week, maybe I should just do less and do less better and try to just fit everything in. So I've cut some stuff back to try to just focus more on like legit, just the base, the basics. And like, if you can do the basics really well, you know, you're, you're probably doing okay. And then, yeah, if you can add stuff extra on top of that, that that's great. Um, or a lot of kids, not a lot, but some of our kids go do outside private training too, where they can get more specialized with what they do. Um, so I try, I try to hit just the main, you know, push, pull, brace, rotate. Like we don't even necessarily do those every every day or every week. We 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 pull, we squat, we clean, we bench, or do some kind of pushing, and and we just progress that based on either where they're at in the year or what level lifter they're at basically we use those same templates for the middle school for the most part i haven't i haven't really started doing clean variations with them uh just because i'm like trying to catch up like they're getting in their weight room this this spring semester of their eighth grade year and i, I want to teach them how to do some other things before i you know spend time teaching that during during their my 30 minutes with them basically
0: whenever you start implementing that clean because I've, I've had uh, Chris Romano on and we talked a lot about the clean. Uh, it, it gets a beautiful lift. I love it. I include it in my programming. I'm a powerlifting coach. So we do uh, the big three, but we also do clean as well uh, for a variety of reasons. Whenever you start implementing the clean movement with those younger populations, you find it, it's a really difficult lift for them to grasp to me in my experience. So how do you start them and then progress them through the clean? As you mentioned that you typically don't start it cause it is uh, multi movements occurring. A lot of things are happening. So you start somewhere else, I understand that. But
1: how do you progress that uh, and build them into the clean? I mean, it, it depends on the situation. Like if I had, if I was working with seventh grade, you know, if I had them for two years, and I had two days a week with them or, you know, a bit more time with them, I would start earlier. Like, you know, I'm all for basically starting them as early as you can. It just depends on how much time you really have with them. This year, I mean, we, we, we kind of started from the top down and just, we, we didn't, you know, turn the bar over and catch it until probably, probably the spring or the end of the first semester with them. So we just, just started with mid thigh pulls and jump shrugs and then above the knee, clean pulls. Um, below the knee clean pulls, and then, you know, started pulling from the ground. I don't even know if they – I don't even know if the developmental group has pulled from the ground.
0: Um, do, you, we, do you utilize med balls at all in, in your – I
1: don't. Like, I, I know that's in his book, and I've seen his picture. Uh, I have before, I'm pretty sure. I haven't – you know, that hasn't been something I've, I've used recently. Um, I think it teaches the sequence well, but I just, I just haven't done it. Currently, like, last year I, I did a lot of landmine cleans and landmine pulls and stuff like that I kind of liked uh that aspect but then transitioning to a barbell was not as smooth as I like so I'm like I'm just going to start them with the barbell and like we'll just slowly progress that and that that's been um I think better than than the landmine Uh, I think the landmine would or med balls would work great for the middle school kids and stuff but like our middle school we don't have med balls (laughs) we have we just like there we have racks and bars and and dumbbells I actually had mid die pulls program for the middle school kids I thought I was going to have them twice a week but once I I realized I was only having them once, I took it out and like we're squatting and, and and lunging and doing that stuff instead. So yeah, that's what we do. I mean, I I do a lot of complexes where they're linking multiple movements together, tempos or, or pauses at different positions. I think just getting them to understand what where their body should be at certain points of the of the lift is the main is the main part. And then, you know, because I think a lot of the benefits of the movements come from the pool. So if I, like that's why I didn't worry about the catch as much for a while because if they're doing the pull correctly, they're going to get benefits still. And like, we can progress that. And if the catch is going to be limiting them, then I don't want to, you know, be stuck doing that the whole time. So now this year, or like after, after we were catching for a while, I started doing the, like the turnovers in the rack, like starting tall on your toes and having the bar mid mid chest and getting them to learn how to like drop and, Throw their elbows up. Um, There's, I mean, I definitely made some mistakes doing some stuff this year where I tried to either go out of order or do too many things at once, which I probably would have slowed that down looking back. But I think the quicker you can get to the main parts of the lift and practice them earlier on, the better. Um, It's just unfortunate that some of them are starting their freshman year. Like, you know, if they start in seventh grade or eighth grade before the adolescent awkwardness and when they first start, you know, learning how to move their body and stuff. I think they, you know, by the time they got to the freshman, they'd be legit. But trying to pile that on top of a bunch of other stuff um, is, is difficult. So. Yeah, you, you, you
0: have to yeah. utilize what you have at your disposal. Like you talked about with the med balls. I, I typically don't use med balls. I'll use PBC or just barbell. Uh, and progressing it from the top down like like you're talking about. So you have to go with what you have and what works best with the population that you serve. I'm normally working with like 45 to 50 kids at a time. And with the clean, you talked about athletic, adolescent awkwardness. And that is the movement you're going to see a lot of awkwardness uh, come out in youth populations. So a lot of the times whenever I have a kid that just decides, oh, my 10th grade year, I want to come out and be a part of the football team. Well, I didn't have any development time with those kids. I, that's normally the easiest way for me to individualize things is to say, today you're not cleaning. Today is just uh, a hang clean or we're working on a clean pull from above the knee. So that I've, I can speak to that. I've had to do that. It's, it's hard to individualize whenever you're working with large groups, but that's the way that I found it. Uh, the easiest to do. So I, I can understand a lot of the limitations you're talking about there. So to kind of jump back to something we were just previously talking about, we kind of talked about the big lifts. I'd like to kind of talk a little bit about how you stack in auxiliary work uh, throughout individual sessions. So do you superset? Are you doing plyometric things in
1: nature? Or is it all going to be weight based in the weight room? We were like, this is one of the things I'm just talking about. I recently changed. We, we had a bunch of auxiliary stuff that it wasn't in there for fluff necessarily, but it was, you know, it, it just wasn't big bang for your butt type of movements. It was, okay, we're going to do a clean. And then instead of having kids stand around, we're going to do a hip mobility exercise. And then, you know, pair those together, something low key, that's not going to tax them for the cleans, but keep them, you know, busy. And then we're going to go and then that way, their hips will be good to squat after that, basically. And it just not it wasn't necessarily a headache. It was just like, do I really need this in there? No. So I took it out. So like, now, now this is the first block where really. I've done this all year, but they're cleaning by itself. They're d- going to do their squats by itself. And then they'll have either two or three s- things paired at the end together, which is still not like a whole bunch of curls or like isolation stuff. It's just going to, you know, pair a pull up and a, and a reverse lunge. And like, that's four movements. I'd rather do those four movements. Well, than worry about trying to get, you know, six or seven things. Oh, i got to get my brace movement in this week. Like, I just, I don't know. I'll see how it goes. Cause this is like new for me to try to start to scale back. But that was kind of where I was at with that. I, I do pair stuff up normally. Um, and I would have like, I basically would have six exercises and, and have like three tiers of two. Um, but I've kind of cut that back even now. So I'd rather them focus and coach each other on the main lifts. And then, cause normally what happens too, is like you might not always get through everything you need because of this happen. So if they're going to get through everything, I'd rather them get through those first two main lifts and we'll have to cut the last two things out, then get through their first thing and their first accessory and their second thing and not their second accessory or something like that. Um, So I've kind of just front loaded the first part of the workout with the bulk stuff. And then if we don't finish stuff, okay, well we're missing a, you know, we're going to skip a lateral lunge today instead of a, a deadlift or a squat kind of thing. And so that's the high school groups, the middle school groups, we, we do that. Still, we have three different pairs of two exercises that we pair up. Um, You know, that's typically how we do the plyometrics and stuff. We don't, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll pair that with, with stuff. I don't really have, like, I just don't have that much time where I can like do all the stuff at the beginning that I would like. So we'll either pair it with stuff or for a period of time, we were going outside and throwing med balls. We would go outside, do a warm up on the turf, throw med balls or run sleds and then we'll come inside and lift then the weather turned bad and teams got to be in the bulk of their season so we kind of stopped doing that but I might start to get that going again well and we got free laps so then I was just like oh we're gonna just sprint every day um so then that didn't leave much time to like train speed you're just testing speed all the time which is you know that that, that's fine that's a different conversation but now I've just we're gonna test our speed one day and train it another day or train do our other stuff that we were doing before that we've had to cut out now to do other stuff and I only do that with some groups because like how our schedule works first and last period is you have it I don't know what the educational terms are they have that every day that period and it's only an hour so the athletes go to that period every day and then like the middle part of the day is block schedule where I guess for athletes they have the athletics every day but like it's paired some classes are paired up with like health or something. So they're supposed to split that class in half. So those periods I have longer, it's like an hour and a half and we don't take the whole time, but I'm not trying to fit everything in an hour. So like, if we, if we take an hour 10, it's fine. Whereas other classes like, no, they have to go to their next class. So it, it's a little different on each group, depending, you know, this determines what, how much we have time for and what kind of stuff we do. Um, and then like I have some groups that train before SWAT 7 baseball trains with swimming Swimming's not in season baseball is in the middle of their district season so that's something where like normally I might try to take them outside and do some speed stuff or plyometrics but because of the setup and the logistics of things I just don't do that we just stay inside warm up inside lift you know I'll, pay, I'll pair some jumps with their with their lifts or something like that but it, it kind of depends on the group and how much time and kids you're working with and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. Go, going back to, to the basics, uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. One, one of the things that I've realized as I've continued to grow as a strength and conditioning coach is that whenever you start, you have all these grand ideas and you feel like you can t- uh, take on the whole world in like one week's time. And I used to program all this stuff and I would drive myself crazy trying to validate all the different things I was going to get accomplished within one session. Uh, and it was like a mad rush to get it all accomplished. And how effective were we in actually doing it? Probably not very effective. So COVID's actually one of the driving factors that caused me to simplify my programming and look at the big ad- adaptations and then chase those smaller things at another time uh, where, where I have more time, essentially. So a lot of the things about cutting out fluff. And i I've found that a lot of the volume that I was deriving in my programming was actually coming from auxiliaries, which is going to then pull away adaptations from my bigger movements that I'm, I'm going to get more from uh, in the end of things. So a lot of that makes sense. Looking at speed training, you've, you've already alluded to the fact that you have a free lap and you kind of talked about you would do that before your weight training if you, you would train speed and weight simultaneously in one session with
1: speed occurring first. Yeah, so we just got that probably like two months ago. So before I had that, it depended on the team. We just got some sleds this year. So like last year I didn't do any speed training at all the whole year. I was like, it was different too. We had a different schedule. So we weren't on the block schedule last year. We were on normal schedule. Every class was 47 minutes. And so if you take out transition time, you get 37 minutes with them. And the field is not that far from the weight room, but like, just that transition time of being on the turf to do some stuff and then coming into lift was too much. Whereas this year, even our shorter classes are an hour. So that allows a bit more time where we can actually do that stuff. And then like first period while they can come a bit early before school, they're not getting out of a class. So we can start right when the period starts. And then the last period while they don't have to get to the next class. So even though it's an hour, you can pretty much take the full hour. So this year, I've, we, we we got some sleds, the Magic Carpets from Spud, Inc. I love those. Those things are awesome. And we, we we did a lot of sled pulling, you know, at the beginning of the session. We go outside, do a dynamic warm-up, pull sleds forward and backwards. Talking about, know. like, with a sling, essentially? Or, or No, it's just it's like, like it's a dog sled. It's really just
0: um, – It's kind of like a rogue dog sled, kind of, like where it's got bars. Nah, really? No, no bars.
1: It's just like a – pulling sled so you it's like it's got a belt harness yeah okay um, yeah yeah and it's just like a piece of fabric that you like latch the weights onto and it slides it slides nice on the turf and we've used them inside so like when I when I got here we there's like four of them and we never really use them because I'm like four of anything doesn't really do me good when I have 40 kids but I thought they were good enough to buy 20 more so now we have 20 sleds and I would set it up where basically the kids would line up they'd all partner up so we could only do this really with up to 40 kids but they would you know sprint and then they would turn the sled around and then they would run backwards back and then they would take the belt off switch switch people and i'd try to make it like a competition do it as fast as you can like who's going to be the first group ready kind of thing because otherwise it'll just take forever it's like you just unbuckle it and give it to them and they buckle it, and then it just takes five seconds but how
0: heavily how heavy are you loading the sleds typically is it does it vary or is it just kind of
1: it was like not what not random but yeah like the the younger groups would use like yellows a twenty five pound plate on there, and then the older groups I think we use red, which is forty five pounds so it wasn't individualized by body weight or anything like that it was kind of just broad like you guys are younger smaller less trained here you go, which wasn't great. <laughs> It was better than nothing maybe, but there's a lot of size variance and athleticism variance within those. So like it wouldn't have taken that much extra work to be like, okay, when you when you y'all need to pair up together and y'all need to do a red and y'all need to pair up together and do a yellow. I didn't take that extra step. Whereas in the future, like I I plan to do that because I've seen like how it worked and for some kids it's super easy and some there's not, but you learn, you know, you don't you don't learn until you try to do it and fail. So we did that for a while. And then we would throw med ball. So we would do pull sleds one day and the other day we would do our dynamic warm up outside and then do different kind of med ball throws and then we'd go inside and lift. And that was our warm up. So when we went inside, we could just go lift instead of if they didn't do that, we would warm up inside and then lift. Um, Since we got the free lap, we haven't done that one time at all. (laughs) We've just done a warm up, printed, you know, got two trials, two sprints on the free lap and then we go inside and lift like they'd be warmed basically. So we go inside and lift the way I was doing it. And I'm basically starting to change that now too, is like one day we would, the first day of the week we would do their 10 fly, get their 20 to 30 time. And the other day we would do their 10 yard sprint. So that I have like a max speed and acceleration day. I have enough cones to do both. I just, I wasn't doing it because I started to do it. And then I felt like I was overwhelming the coaches that were recording the times by giving them like two numbers to write down or I was maybe doing three at first. I was writing their total time too. And I just, it was like a nightmare. So I'm like, okay, we're just going to do the fly one day and you just write one time down each time. And then we're going to do the, the 10 the other day. And you just write one time down. But then that was taking both, both our days up where there was no real, like there wasn't a whole lot of like speed development other than those two maximal sprints and like the build, you know, the warming up to that. So now I'm like, okay, you can write down two numbers. I won't, I'll try to go slow enough to not overwhelm you. So we've, you know, we, we have five cones. I use four cones to get there. Start 10, 20. I don't really time the 10 to the 20. I just used 20 to the 30 and then the fifth cone I just put on the 35 turned off. think that they have to run through the last cone because if you put the cone on the 30 they're going to slow down at like the 27 so if you put the cone on 35 hope hopefully they're running through the 31 which is where i have the cone so now i've I've done that we're going to do that on the one day and then i'll use the other day to go back to running slides and throwing my balls and still getting you know but, but but getting more work done rather than just building up to two sprints basically. And then we go inside and lift. So th- th- all that stuff is like new for me. Cause I didn't do any of it last year. Um, we just got the more sleds this year. We just got the free laps. So I'm like still trying to figure out the workflow of that and everything, but I feel like it's such a good tool that I need to be using it. And I need, I just, now I how do I find a way to, or how do I find the time to make this valuable outside of just running? Cause they're, they're getting there and they're running. And then it's like, okay, I need to, I need to actually, record rank and publish not just record and record and record and record and that's kind of what's happening right now so it's a work in progress
0: I understand whenever I really prioritize speed in, in the summer, I have so much more time and, and it's way more cohesive than in the spring, because in the spring I have kids that might work out one to two days with me and they're in season with other things. So I can't record rank and publish or put it out there to incentivize them to, to really push in those sprints in the summer. I typically do like the miles per hour and, and all yeah. that good stuff. And the kids love it. I'll put it up at like every Tuesday up on the door so that they can compare and, and look at and, with themselves and with others uh, throughout time. So I can, I can understand all the limitations and all the promise and all those different things you spoke to. So I kind of heard some things about acceleration and max V to kind of pair that speed training with the weightlifting. Some people really like to mimic and match what they do in their sprinting to their weightlifting. Others uh, may not. So I was wondering if an acceleration based day out on the field would dictate how you lift weights Uh, for that session, or if a max V would dictate how you lift weights uh, in a given session? Are you accounting for those two things together? Or do you kind of go a different route with that?
1: Not, not really, not at all. And now I'm basically getting both those on the same, in the same time, like I'm getting their acceleration and their max V on the same day. So I don't really account for that. It's kind of, I guess it's not, yeah, it's not blended in that sense. It's just, this is the day that we're going to clean and squat and pull. And this is the day we're going to deadlift and Bench and do whatever else, and then what we do outside of that. I always have the max velocity and higher intensity stuff earlier in the week and the first day that they lift, because sometimes they won't lift a second day for whatever reason, and just so they're fresh, mainly. And then we don't do enough in there to match it with the the stuff. I feel like, like we, you know, we only squat once a week, really. We only deadlift once a week. We only clean once a week. So it's hard to like, you know, try to match those things up if if you. For, for me and what we do um, I'm not I don't think there's anything against it I guess it's just keeping it simple to <laughs> so keep it as simple I, I, as possible
0: I understand it's um, yeah the speed coming first is going to complement uh, what what's going on after that you know if you were lifting before and then trying to go out and run a max V then then things would really be thrown off so it's yeah. it's not as big of a factor if, if you're taking care of that first uh, so I, I was just wondering just because it's something that, that I've looked at myself. So one thing you mentioned as well as the warm up and looking at the Tyler Legacy Twitter account I've seen a lot of cool different warm ups it's probably from different settings different teams but I was just wondering if you could talk about the role of the warm up because I've seen you guys like utilize like hula hoops and like it's like a uh, what rock paper scissors and all these different yeah. things so can you just talk about how you've kind of integrated things like that because that gives kids a chance to get warmed up but at the same time have a good time doing it so can you just talk about how you guys have implemented that into your program and why you felt the need to kind of go about it in that fashion
1: for sure this was a question on the the iron speed chat last night too which was like how do you make things fun so that that's a good thread to follow um if you haven't checked it out on Sunday nights hosted by Peter N- Nguyen, no one. but really it, it, it depends like a lot of a lot of our warm-ups are are you know typical or boring stuff in the weight room uh that we did for a lot of the year and that all stemmed from the pandemic last year so like when we first got back into the weight room I was trying to keep everything socially distanced and kids at their own rack and so everything was very stationary in the warm-up um, and we just kept doing that for a long time to try to mitigate you know any exposure and it just worked well with this with the space uh, that we have because it's been a little better this year in terms of numbers but last year like we would do a dynamic warm-up in the weight room and like I'd have 80 kids in there and trying to get them in lines and go up and down. We have like a kind of a a long, narrow, relatively narrow weight room. So we had some space to move, but it was just tough. Like it was just a nightmare trying to get them organized. So we are doing a lot of stationary stuff and with the, with the fun, uh, different kind of warmups, like, so any, and, and a lot of the equipment we have, we can't do. And I wouldn't suggest doing with a group of 60 or 70 kids. Like when we have that, a lot of times we don't, we don't do those types of things. So a lot of that stems from, oh, this coach says we are not going to be in today. We have pictures or something. So I have one team in there, and it's a smaller group. And now the equipment that I have can, we can do some fun stuff with one group, and it's easier to manage. So that that was part of it. with some of it. it's like, okay, we're gonna, we're still gonna lift and do our normal lift, but we'll just change a warm up instead of just doing the same thing we do every day. Let's get it different while we can um that was one thing with like yeah the hula hoops I mean I you, it's social media is where I see a lot of this stuff but you know I saw like kindergartners playing it on playground and then older people love oh, like kid older kids love the same stuff that little kids love for the most part so anything you see like little kids doing with older kids are gonna like it and they're gonna get competitive with it and everything so Really, the creativity is the only limiting factor, and equipment. I didn't buy hula hoops. I somehow found hula hoops in our weight room. I'm like, I'm gonna use them, and like these little blue rings we have. So we would do that. Yeah, you just play paper rocks. That you and how we did it. And this, this must have been a while ago now, but we'll do like, if it's a hula hoop, you get two feet. You get to jump with two feet in it, and if it's one a smaller blue disc, or if you have like those little dots that you can put on the ground. You do one one foot in each one, so it's kind of like hopscotch. And then yeah, you meet each other. You, you got to balance, play paper rock scissors, and go for it. So like that was that's fun. Um, we use a little blue disc. That's kind of like a hula hoop but smaller, like size of a dinner plate maybe bigger. And we'll we'll have them each put their foot in the disc and kind of stand shoulder to shoulder and say uh, you got to push your partner out of the ring without using your hands. So, like, we started doing that last year in the morning to get kids woken up because we had a smaller weight room that was, like, we share with the, the cheer the cheer team. So, there was, like, the blue, like, I guess, wrestling mat, but, like, carpet covered, not. So, we would do that in there because, you know, if you fall, it's on the mat. And then not now we've been on the turf a lot more this year. So, we just played out on the turf. And then another thing that has been become a huge part of our warm-ups now is, I mean, it kind of stemmed from accident, but... I was with the basketball team, and we went inside the weight room to lift after outdoor stuff. And football was in the weight room lifting, and there's they were they forgot we were we had to lift that day too, so there was no space. So we went back outside, and I was just sort of like, okay, we're, we're gonna do something. We're not just gonna say, all right, well, see you later, guys. So I was throwing the tennis balls, and like they were just chasing it and stuff. And now that's become part of our warm up for every group cause we do that and then we do a couple other buildups and stuff and then we do our free lap stuff and that was something that like I didn't intentionally plan like oh this will be a really cool like thing to do you know as a warm-up it was kind of it happened at the end of a session for one group and then I saw it as the opportunity to use at the beginning of the session for every other group so like pretty much every group except for that 7 a.m group I have will do that like we'll start on the turf I'll throw balls and they got to catch it off one bounce so I'll you know throw it high and bounces off the turf and i i don't want them full out sprinting to start but it's more enjoyable than saying okay jog to the 20 and back you know skip to the 20 and back like that stuff i lose kids a lot there i feel like or they just they don't come prepared whereas this is like a good way to ease into the session um and now we've just been doing riffs off that and different you know different variations of that and It's been really good. The coaches like it. The kids like it. You're doing more than just moving. Now you're, you're tracking a ball. You're, you know, judging a bounce. You're catching things. Even if you're not an athlete that catches, like, it's not going to hurt you to be good hand-eye coordination. So, you know, why not?
0: Yeah, the warm up is a time that a lot of people stop even calling it a warm up because it just yeah. suggests that I'm going to do it, you know, half hearted. I'm not going to put my full effort into it. And obviously, you have to progress people as you warm up. But by giving them different stimuluses, if you wanted to get all academic with it, like tracking the ball and all that, you're actually probably going to be getting into like the vestibular system and all those For different sure. things without even really meaning to. And the kids don't have to know that. They just have to yeah. know that. That I enjoy, and it's given me a little flair, a little something different uh, by doing the different hoops and sizes of things. You're going bilateral and unilateral. So you're, you're getting a lot of the different things that could benefit kids in a warm up, but you're not just standing in a line. All right, 10 second count, exactly. static stretch. Yeah. Something that's going to be redundant, be almost military like, because honestly, a coach. In the warm-up time, you really want to get to the main lift because we, we have time constraints. You know, you want to get to the main lift. You want to get to the main thing. But if you can find different ways to provide different stimuluses while also allowing them to have fun, you're going to benefit a lot from that. So I really enjoyed that whenever I saw that on, on the account, and I could see how that would be a benefit to leading into a, a good session for your teams. So two more things I kind of want to focus on. Uh, I want to talk about KPIs that you utilize to justify and measure your training throughout a year's time. So what are some of the measurements you're looking at to justify and adjust your
1: training on a year's time? I'm trying to do more this year. Last last year I, I didn't do much. Like I was new to the school. It was a lot bigger than the school I was at in New Zealand. I was at an all boys school with 750 kids. Here is where like 24, 2,500 kids. Um, so it's weird. Cause like, you feel like you know what you're doing until you go into a different role. And then it's like, you're relearning everything because there's so much other things that there's a thing about. Like, I, I felt like I knew about training, but just, I didn't know how to like scale it and, 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 and implement it in the setting I was in. So it took me a long time to figure out where kids were at and how things worked and what I felt comfortable letting them do. Um, Cause you know, seniors have been lifting for three years with Jeremy Hepner, as a strength coach at Baylor like the girls basketball strength coach was a strength coach before before me so like they knew what they were doing and when I came in I'm like I know you know what you're doing but I don't know if you know what you're doing and I need to see that before I open up the lesson. the reins, I don't know whatever the same things but so like we didn't max on 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 any lifts or anything last year I think towards the end we maybe did with a couple teams uh, equipment we had a jump mat so we I would and and I was just like scared or you know didn't want to implement I was like oh there's too many kids we can't do we can't do any jumps cuz there's too many kids so like it was just a cop out really like to not get better I would just complain about the situation and like feel sorry for myself basically so this year I'm like no like we we have these mats we're going to use them we're going to test every every block and we're gonna get you know some kind of progress going. Not, not not even really for me to see if my you know program was working. I knew it was working because the kids were getting stronger and they were playing well in sports and you know they were staying healthy. So that those were my KPIs. Um, but for the kids to show them that hey your training is paying off, keep working hard. Or hey your training's not paying off, work harder. I wanted to to just have something more repeatable in place. So I started doing the jump testing with. And it just started with the counter movement jump that I, I was just testing that with all my teams this year. The RSI and the four jump test has been around for a while, but I didn't really think anything of it until like recently. So now I'm doing that with the kids. In addition, now we have a free lap. So I'm testing there just right now, really, I'm just getting their 10 and their 10 yard fly with the 20 yard run in a max with a couple teams because the other issue was i didn't have a good way of kids to load the bar with the correct weight, no matter how many comparisons or descriptive words I tried to use to get them to understand where they need to be at without some kind of percentage or some kind of idea of where they're at. They, they really just didn't know. Some kids did and some kids were fine, but like a lot were mostly undershooting the mark. There wasn't a whole lot of kids that had to be like, you know, take some weight off. It was more like this last set of three should be heavy and what you think is heavy might feel heavy to you because you don't really know what heavy truly is because you've never tried to do it so like like now I've I've, um you know done hex bar deadlift max with most the teams and bench and squat with some teams because that one's still a little with smaller teams I don't I feel comfortable implementing it but like if I have like 60 kids in there that aren't necessarily all super trained it's just a little feel a little less comfortable with that for now. So, but that's allowed us to get percentages and work off that, which is going to be great. Um, so we're, 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 we're adding more KPIs just so I can have different aspects of performance to show them that, you know, okay, even though your jump, your one counter movement jump didn't improve, that that was all we tested before. So now you think your training is a failure. Well, your RSI and your 10 fly and your squat improved. So like you're getting better just not this one test. And if you look at your sport and I always try to tell them, cause they, they get so caught up in the testing. Oh, my jump wasn't good. Well, good thing your sport isn't vertical jumping. It's baseball or softball or whatever else. Like this is one small part of, you know, a sport you play. And yeah, it's an indicator of some other things, but you know, are you playing your sport well? Are you staying healthy? Like those are the things that really matter. Not, not did your jump improve? You know, if, eight other things did and if you hit a bomb last night you know who cares if you jumped in to go up like you're you're doing what we're wanting you to do and you know you're still performing so uh yeah I, I and I'm then I'm trying to slowly work on you know Rich Burnett's little athlete report card thing like that's in the works I, I need the data to be able to provide something like that because I don't, don't want to do it just one thing, but like the, just a cool visual of the different aspects of performance and where you're at ranking with other people and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, just getting real deep down the Google Sheets rabbit hole to to get something that's really for the kids. Like, it's not really for me as much as at the end of the year, or at the end of the semester, I want to be able to give them a sheet and say, look how much you've improved. Like, this is awesome. You know, keep going instead of just when they come up to their jump every four weeks, they can see their last lift or last jump. And then they try to beat that. Like I want them to have a better idea of where they're at with all, all the things. And that's something that like, I haven't done a great job of, but um, it's better than it was last, last semester. And that, that was better than it was last year. So it's just a, Slower process than what I like, but it's moving in the right direction at least.
0: KPIs are great to have, but if you overload yourself with data, you can just drown in it. So the idea of having healthy, strong, productive athletes that 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 is the most important thing, because the last the last thing you want to do as a prep coach is injure kids or yeah. load load them in ways that are going to lead to injury while they play their sport. So KPIs are great. Uh, But if you get too fancy with them, uh, you can drive yourself crazy and really in the end, just have a bunch of data for nothing, essentially. So a lot of those things, like vertical jumps, like, like you mentioned, it's great to be able to jump high and oftentimes people who can jump high, yeah, they can run well, but I've seen people with really low verticals that can, you know, their their feet are smoking on the sprint. So just different things. But the idea of that athletic report card, that seems really good because it would uh, incentivize, you know, the kids to strive for different things and then show them areas that they need to work on just like essentially in any other subject in school. So I think that would be awesome. That'd be be something I'd be willing to look into for my kids as well. So the last thing I kind of want to touch on before we talk about uh, resources I want to talk about how you would vary in-season training versus off-season training. So whenever you encounter your athletic populations, and you've already alluded to the fact that you may be working with a swimming team, and they're in-season, and another team's in there, and they're out-of-season. So obviously, you may work with uh, groups at the same time. They're both in and out. But how would you – progress your training in the in season uh, formats and how would that differ from off season?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this is something new for me this year too, because last year, like when I look back at myself, I cringe and, which I guess is good, but it was only a year ago. So it wasn't that long ago, but last year I basically, I had two programs, one for the freshman groups, one for the older groups. And if you were in season or off season, you did the same lifts, we would just, hey, you're doing sets of three instead of sets of five. Hey, you're doing, you know, that was basically it. The Oh, you're doing three sets instead of four. Like we just cut the volume down and the the intensity, I didn't really have a way to prescribe intensity. So it was like, hey, we because we're cutting the volume down, let's keep the intensity high so we can still keep getting stronger in season. Um, but, you know, it was pretty like basic, very basic. So this year I've started to like have, and it's a lot more work for me, but it's, I mean, I think it's better for the kids because they're getting more what they need instead of just like an easy way for me to do. It It may not be the best way for them, whereas this way maybe is a little bit harder, but it's probably better for them. So each team or group of teams that have a similar season will 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 be on the same sheet like baseball and softball. They start their season around the same time. So they're on the same sheet and they'll you know, like right now they're in season, So they'll have like an in-season sheet. Uh, or in late, late season, because they're playing their district game. so I kind of have, like, preseason, early season, late season, and then, like, a couple of different off-season phases that I'll, I'm working through, and this is, like, I'm developing this as I, as I go, so it's not necessarily something, oh, I've been doing this for 10 years, and when it, it works, I'm sticking with it, like, no, this is, okay, how can I get better than last semester? Okay, we did this for block, what were the things I can work on okay let's implement that this block and it's literally even my sheets that I'm using like last year I just write it on the whiteboard all year and I thought that was okay and it it worked and we got through it but like now they have sheets at least so that's typically how we do it and 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 they'll all have you know they follow they'll have the same template so it'll still be like a clean a squat uh and vertical pull or something but it'll be you know okay if you're in early offseason phase like basketball they just ended and kind of started their offseason so they're doing weighted eccentric only you know pull-ups so they're adding weight and only doing the downward part and just building on strength and then an in-season team like baseball they're like playing their last couple of district games here they got pull-ups still but and this is new, I just made it up because I was looking for a way to progress that. Like, how do you progress a pull-up besides just add weight or, you know, do the downward part? So we're doing, like, band-assisted speed pull-ups. I'm, like, try to get five pull-ups in five seconds and working on, okay, if you normally do a pull-up without a band, you're going to add a band, a red band. If you normally use a red band, you're going to add a purple. And so trying to make the pull-up easier and make that movement faster. So normally... You know, depending where they're at in the season, the the variables that I'll change will be the range of motion that they're performing that movement, the speed or the tempo, the load, the complexity of the movement sometimes, pretty much those things. So like in season, you know, you might be doing, we'll we'll do like mid thigh pulls from the rack or above the knee pulls from the rack where there's no real eccentric portion. Whereas, in you know, it's a short range of motion, whereas off season we'll be doing a clean pull, deficit clean pull with a pause or something. So longer range of motion, pausing or tempos. Um, and that's just kind of how ha- what the things I manipulate squat kind of same thing. Like what well, we, I, we did a lot of pin squats in season. We'll remove we'll the safeties up and it'll be like a half or like a quarter squat with and overload the weight and then velocity. So like some things I'll assist with the band just to increase the movement. So you know, off season, we might be doing uh, assist uh, resisted, like a med ball jump where they're having resistance and jumping with greater load. And then in season, we'll do assisted jumping with like putting a band on top of the wrap, rack and you get some some over over speed training there. Um, I think the kids favorite and same with like bench, so, like bench. OK, tempos, off season, in season, plyometric pushups with the band. So that's typically like how 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 things change then for Nordic hamstring curls, we did those. And in season, I wanted to take those out. So we did like the lying band, like hamstring kicks, and like, they just love those things. So it's cool too, because like, it's stuff that in the string conditioning world is like, not necessarily common practice, but like an exercise that you see a lot. And like, these kids have never seen that. So when I ask them to lay on their back and bridge their hips ups and kick the band as fast as they can, and it makes a funny noise, like, they love that they think that's fun training for me i'm like okay this is like good hamstring training and for them it's like this is one of those fun things like or the, even the over speed jumps like this is they look at that the same way we look at like the tennis ball drills or like the, the paper rock scissors like oh they're fun that's fun can we do that again we want to jump you know real high with the bands I'm like cool like let's do it that that's pretty much the main the main ways i'll i'll change things depending on where they're at and you know, some teams, they'll be different teams, like baseball, softball works together because they're similar sport too, but it might be like track and soccer right now. You know, it's not really, my program is not necessarily that specific for the sport as much as it is for the time of the year that they're, that they're training. So like they're both finishing their season and kind of starting the off season. So they have pretty much the same program. Um, And that's another aspect for me to improve in the future, but you can't, you know, you got to improve little things at a time. I, I feel so like that's something I can improve on, but that they might have the same workout and cause they're both just finished a season and are very early in their next season. But you know, a squat is a squat for the most part. I don't know if a soccer player needs to do a different squat than a track athlete. If I only had track and I only trained track athletes and they were always by themselves. Okay. Maybe we can specialize a bit more, but you know, I've already got like 10 different sheets now. So for me to then, you know, get baseballs doing a different thing than this other team that's playing at the same day and time is difficult. They do a lot of specific stuff on their own outside of what we do too. Like, you know, the extra arm care and stuff for the baseball team. So, you know, I can only do so much in terms of specializing it for where they're at. But um, that's typically how how very things in season and out of season.
0: Yeah, I, I understand all those different things that, that you're throwing out there. I work with one sporting population, so it's very easy for me to say, this is the sport, these are the different yeah. things that, that I need to be addressing. With you working with multiple ones, you're just thinking about uh, a lot of sports have a lot of the same skills that are being tested, but just you know to a varying degree. So as long as you're taking into account that really the sport is the true stress at that time, and you're looking at different ways to advance it, but not over- make it over complex for people because in season there's so much, so many other things going on. Like whenever I'm training football at that time, I bring out the toy box, but I'm thinking, I need to keep this as simple and direct as possible while also working on speed and power and changing the joint angle a little bit. And, uh, helping the kids build some familiarity with that. Like I'll pop in and out of a couple blocks occasionally so that I can say, well, this is kind of what in season feels like. And then we'll go back into our off season mode, just because I feel like familiarity is something that's extremely important with adolescent populations it's great to throw them into a lot of different situations, but if you overload them, then they don't get the, the max intent behind different movements. So I understand a lot of the things that you threw out there. The last thing I always typically like to end with is to allow people to talk about resources that they feel like they've really benefited from and that have helped them to develop into better coaches and also share any resources uh, that they have available out there. I know you have some, some work that you've worked on with your PhD, so if you want to throw that in there, you can do that as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess my my, my resources are, are the things that I have out there. Yeah, I mean, ResearchGate's the best way to find all that stuff together. It's all uploaded there, and that's that's got all my PhD published papers on there. I think the whole thesis is on there. Um, the thesis has been like pinned to my Twitter for a while now. So if you want to go read read the whole thing, it's there. And that's around weightlifting in in, in adolescent populations. Um, in terms of resources that have helped me, as a, that's I mean that's pretty much all the work I, I've done is my PhD. Um, there's a couple podcasts out there now too, and I guess what resources that have helped me has just been I mean social media has been huge. I don't really read that much within the field anymore, just because I feel like I was getting burnt out. Like I was always just trying to learn about my job, and I wasn't really re- reading much else. So like a lot of times now, the books I read are, are not necessarily in S but I mean, I'm, I'm from a, a powerlifting background, too, so I got a lot of, like, my basic strength stuff from powerlifting heavy, you know, stuff. I mean, Mark Ripito, starting strength, those kinds of resources, weightlifting. I mean, I've learned a lot at my current club now just from the coaches and being in, like, a weightlifting club setting in terms of coaching and cues and, you know, variability and technique and stuff athletic lab academy instagram has been good they have like some good um they break down some topics pretty pretty well on there science for sport I guess uh, same thing that they, they, they it's just a place with a lot of resources com, you know compiled together Podcasts, a lot of podcasts like a bit I haven't listened to a lot of simply faster podcasts but the ones i have have been really good so those those have been good I've just been hard out on the podcast lately so so that's been thing that those have been really really good like i said there's i guess there's not really a whole lot of books just research articles yeah i mean a lot of times i'll skim i'll get the jscr because i'm an NSCA member so i'll get the email of hey this this next issue's out and then i'll just skim the titles and if it's anything with like strength the power youth population i'll read the abstract and then if that looks good and i'll go try to find the full text but Things like science for sport or even like infographics are good for getting the gist of the paper without, you know, going to read the whole scientific thing. Cause a lot of times, you know, you just don't have time. Like if you can get a lot of info in a short amount of time, it's better than getting a lot of info in a larger amount of time. So even with research, like a lot of, I mean, I'd rather read a meta analysis or systematic review that's already looked at. 40 different papers and found what all those 40 papers found and to try to read each of them individually because they each have, you know, different flaws in their methods or something. So um, there's a good diagram somewhere that kind of goes in terms of like order of importance or best research, best, you know, research things to look at and meta-analysis kind of up at the top because they've compiled all this data together. Yeah. I think there's a lot of good resources just now, like you have to pay for a lot of them And there's already so much other free resources out there that, you know, I don't, I don't know if I have a budget here at the school to pay for that, but like, I'm not going to go pay for stuff I can get for free on YouTube, really. Like, yeah, there's maybe a bit of added value in that, but there's so much more free stuff. Like, unless you've exhausted the free resources, I don't know if paying is going to help you out that much more considering... They got that paid content from probably somewhere free anyway. So you can normally find what they're talking about for free. It's just now you have to pay to get it on an app or get it compiled together instead of searching it on your own. But um, there's just so much free stuff out there and and different coaches, you know, to follow that you just take a little bit from from each coach here and there and you don't just throw it blindly in your program, I don't think, or you shouldn't. You just find out where it fits within your program and if it doesn't fit maybe you don't implement it or maybe you just reclassify your own program and say okay well i really like this it needs to fit in my program but it doesn't you know how do i modify my thinking to see how i can implement this and then once you have this new category in your head then all these other things actually filter in there too and then you don't hate on everyone's training because you see well actually in the right time, at the right place, this could have a place in, in your program.
0: Yeah, there's so many free things out there in this day and age. As a strength coach with social media, there, there's just so much you can get on there and you can see things from people like Matt Ray or Brian Mann or all these other people. And it's not like they're putting everything out there, but they're putting out some some lines that you can follow. And then if you wanna pursue them, you can pursue. And then there's high school coaches putting out quality content, YouTube, uh, if you're a visual learner, Podcasts are great. I li- I started a podcast because I listened to too many podcasts to not start one, essentially. So I think they're a great method of growth, a great method of networking, and you can just hear such a variety of content just by listening to even one podcast. So those are a lot of the times I hear from different strength coaches that utilize podcasts, it makes a lot of sense. So I want to thank you for sitting down with me today. I I love seeing kind of your progression, your new uh, where you're located at. But what I'm hearing is that you're looking for different ways to grow and assess things. And you're really pushing for continued growth. And that's, that's, really important as a strength coach to always look at what am I doing well, but where, what areas do I have to grow and how can I do that organically without having to just rip everything apart essentially. So I really enjoyed uh, listening to your rationale behind strength and conditioning and the development of young athletes. Thank you for sitting down with me.
1: For sure, man. Thanks for having me. It's a good time.
0: Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you enjoyed the content, don't forget to subscribe to keep up with the latest content and leave a rating and review if you feel led to do so.